Please pray with me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this morning. We thank you for your word. It is so edifying and it does build your church. It builds your bride. Lord, I pray that we would receive the, um, the riches of these words this morning and be renewed in our appreciation of your image in woman. We pray this to your glory. Amen. All right. So uh, this week we continue our series in um, Fully Alive. We're uh, using that phrase from Irenaeus, the glory of God is man fully alive. And we mean by that male and female, made in the image and likeness of God, um, fully um, restored and renewed and redeemed in Christ, that that would be the story that we live out in our lives and be fully alive, bringing glory to God. Um, one of the ways that we do that is we have to have um, a vision of him. Uh, the second half of that statement is that the glory of man is the vision of God. And in some ways, in our creation, if we're going to see a true reflection in earth of who God really is, we need to see woman and man. So I'm so glad Jeannie's here. <laughs> and uh, actually, Jeannie is um, my wife, for those of you who don't know. And it's not often that we get to do kind of a uh, tandem teaching together. But, um, so we'll probably mostly just be sitting and, um, and, and sharing a little bit. And I'll go ahead and just introduce our, um, our, our teaching today about what it means to be woman, made in the image of God, by just sharing a couple of things. You may recall that last week I was speaking at, at a very basic level. I think one of the things that is true about what it means to be a man is a man is somebody who takes responsibility. Right? And that's what Adam, in many respects, uh, failed to do in a very significant way. Um, kind of asleep at the wheel, particularly when um, Eve was being deceived. He wasn't deceived. She was being deceived, and he was, um, he was not. He actually fell and is, um, is responsible for that and wasn't taking responsibility in such a way that he could engage at that moment, at the moment of crisis. And, and so in many, many respects... Um, so much of what Jesus is illustrating when he comes as a man um, made in his own father's image in the flesh now, reflecting that as well, he, um, he's expressing how Adam could have and should have fully taken responsibility in, in love and in sacrifice. And... Um, in many, in many respects, I think that that is a, is a good, solid, simple definition of what it means to be man. And obviously, we're talking about things that are kind of on a continuum. It doesn't mean that women aren't responsible, but there's a different um, aspect of it that is, I think, symbolically embodied, if you will, in woman. And one of the ways that I've understood that, um, you may recall, too, that last week when I described Adam... One of the things that I said about him is it seems that a lot of what he does when he first shows up on the scene is he's doing a lot of naming. He's doing a lot of categorizing is the sense of it. He's getting a sense of what the creation is that's just been paraded before him and he's begun to see um, what it's actually like. He's discerning what it is. And he's making a mental model of it and he's speaking it and God delights in that. He wanted to even see what Adam was doing. 
Uh, what's interesting about that, and a lot of theologians have noticed this, I think the first time I really came to grips with it is um, from a, is a really great biblical theologian named Alistair Roberts, and he says, you'll notice that in creation, when God is making creation in those seven days, the first half of creation is kind of like setting things up. He's setting the heavens and the earth, you know, and the, the heavens above and the heavens below the sky, if you will, and the earth, and then after the fall, that which is below the earth, you know, and that's, there's this kind of like setting up, this categorization, and Adam, who is his image in creature, is discerning that, those distinctions. He's reflecting, if you will, that version of creativity, of setting things up, and having things in bounds, being this and not that, and noticing this species and that species, and realizing that he's, he doesn't have a helper in there that's fitted to him, and that's something that God wants him to realize, that it's not good for him to be alone. And so that's when woman appears, is that while he's asleep, taken from his side, there is a helper who's made suited for him, and um, fitted to him. And he sees her as his other, who is yet bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. She represents both his strength and his vulnerability in human form, and he delights in her, and he poetizes, and he says the first bit of poetry, um, he's, I guess you could say in a way, he's the first romantic. I mean, this is incredible. This is at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and it's woman, for she's taken from man. She's man with a womb, as one of my mentors used to say. Um, and the thing I wanna say about this word helper is um, it's not like, okay, now, she, now Adam has help. like. You know, she's the help for the household or something along those lines, right? That's how we often misconstrue it. In fact, it's a really powerful word. It's the same word that's used like in Psalm 33 when it speaks about God being our helper and our shield. So if we want to fully understand God, we need to see that particular divine power manifest in woman. And if that particular kind of power is somehow eclipsed or not rightly regarded, then we lose our sense of God in our midst. And the kind of creativity that is particularly embodied in woman. And so much of what um, we see of woman's kind of creativity, I think you could represent it as wisdom, right? If you can think of maybe Adam as a kind of divine gift with regard to word that distinguishes word that breaks things apart and understands integrity, you know, that this is this and not that, for instance. That's kind of a, a, a word sense of God. And Jesus, of course, is the word become flesh. But if we think of woman um, as wisdom, I think we're also getting a little bit of a sense of that beauty and that dignity of humanity that's uniquely reflected in woman who bears the image of God, who's the other half of that image. And then together they are that fullness. And so um, one of the things that um, I think is, is true in wisdom is that it makes the reality of life real. It makes the reality of how God means life to be realized. And, and when Adam 
sees Eve as the mother of living is how he refers to her. He's really noticing that quality in Eve. And she has this capacity, this power, this divine power within her to collaborate with God. And Eve even later reflects on that when she gives birth to the first child. She says, with, I have with God begotten a man. It's, it's an incredibly powerful expression that in our day and age is not understood in a powerful way because our versions of power are almost exclusively related to analytical power and functional power, a va- just a masculine version of power, right? And yet there's this incredible, beautiful, powerful wisdom that is so creative. And, and, and what it is, it's the second half of the kind of creativity that you see God doing. It's the filling in of life, right? So if you look again at the days of creation, and Adam is reflecting that in his naming of the structure, that's the first half. The second half is much more about the filling in of life and the growing up of life from within. There's this reality of life growing within. Um, One of our mentors, a woman named Leanne Payne, often said, that men experience life with their bodies and women experiences life within their bodies. You end up grasping at straws a lot of times when you're trying to really express all these differences, but I think she was capturing something in a poetic way that is actually very true. There's a kind of creativity that it is so intimate and it's so encompassing and it's so involved that it takes that life within itself in order to nurture it in order to treasure it, in order for it to be fully realized and filling in with life. And that's a powerful, divine work. And so these are the things that I thought I would at least say, this is how I, I want to do the handoff to Jeannie, who will then you know, do some meditations on some of what I've been saying and take it in a different direction, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> You have to pray for us because a lot of this is kind of like, okay, we're going to have a conversation and we have some ideas of what we want to say, but hopefully the Holy Spirit will lead us to say the things that are most helpful. Um, So just biologically speaking, when you think of women and what they offer uniquely to the world, there is the capacity to give life with her body and then to sustain life with her body. Um, And this is more than really just a, um, just the life that is alive versus dead. I mean, this is really a, a sense of existence even that a, a mother gives to her child. Uh, babies don't even have object permanence until eight months. And so when mother leaves or someone's not with them, they don't understand that that person continues to exist. And they can't look in a mirror and see themselves. And so they have probably questions about their own existence unless there is another person who is serving as a mirror to them. And so women who raise their children, who who give birth and hold their babies and talk to them and look at them, I think I just skipped, oh yeah, this is double-sided. They are giving that baby that sense of being that is rooted in just their very existence, and then beyond that, well-being. Because, and, and we know this, we got from our mothers a sense of existence and then 
if we had a good mother who spent time with us and looked us in the eyes and like I watch Faith with Verona and I watch my daughter Kirsten with Charlie. I knew I would cry, sorry. And I, I, even myself, how I respond to my grandchildren reminds me so much. Like, oh yeah, I remember this. You know, you, you do it instinctively with babies, but you want to tell them it is good that you're here and I'm glad to be with you. And you know, you make that eye contact and it's hard to break it. When a baby is engaged with you, you don't want to just put them down and walk away. You, you just sense intuitively that they need that and that you're imparting something so important to them. So that's like the main thing that we, this is like the main metaphor for femininity and what women bring. Now, not to say that men cannot also nurture their children and be relational, but this is, is often, you know, if, it helps to talk about these things in dichotomies because you know, we see the contrast between men, women, and these different ways of giving to others. Um, Might be worth just throwing in that little caveat of um, you know, inevitably when you hear teaching like this, you're sitting in your seat and thinking, yeah, but I'm an exception to that. But I, yeah, but that's not like me. Or yeah, but that's not like my daughter or my, yeah. you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and that's why when Jeannie's saying, you know, mm -hmm. it's not, these aren't black, completely black and white things, right? We're talking about mm -hmm. things that are emphases that are more manifest by and large in woman and more manifest by and large in man, but not exclusive, right? Mm -hmm. We're actually, um, both capable of reflecting some of the virtues that we're mostly talking about with related, related to women, just as last week I mentioned that women are capable of reflecting some of the virtues that I was speaking of with, with regard to males and men. So anyway, yeah, yeah. don't let that trip you up. Uh, th there are distinctions, there are differences, and those things are just borne out in statistics, they are, mm -hmm. and um, the fact that I even have to say that is maybe a little bit of denial that is going on in our culture mm -hmm. right now. There are differences, but that doesn't mean they're exclusive. Yeah. Well, or we're all called to operate in these strengths and to develop these strengths. So it, it's not that, it, it's just that God put into creation this picture with these, um, what's the word I want? They, they interconnect and, right. you know, they're they, the strengths balance each other out. So it's just important to recognize them both. So when a mother is communicating these things to her child, the, the thing that's so important is that she's setting up that child to be able to receive messages like, I see you, I hear you, I respond to you, I delight in you, I care about you, I will meet your needs. And when the child begins to trust that a mother or a father or others in their life feel this way about them, I mean, it gives them that sense of well-being. Not just, I'm here, but nobody cares. I'm here, and look how happy people are to be with me. And the thing that's so important then is we need to be able to hear that from God, that God is saying to us, I see you, I hear you, I delight in you, I will respond to you, I will meet your needs, I care about you. So th that's essential that we 
give that gifts to our children and p- people who have not received that. I mean, you, you all know the stories about orphans who are never picked up and never touched and never held and they die. It's so essential to us as human beings to have relationships with others who impart that kind of being and well-being. You have any comments? I had a little break there for you to talk. (laughs) I'll go on if you want. Uh, The the next thing that I was thinking about is is how the the mother and the, um, the picture of Mary who takes the words and she treasures them, mm-hmm. you know, and she holds them in her heart. And um, the sense of that word, it's very much like um, the same word for gestation, except mm-hmm. she's t- taking the words that were prophecies about Jesus and she's, she's treasuring them in her heart. And there's something about this way of wisdom and there's something about this, um, this gift of the divine reflected in woman mm-hmm. that is, that's just that. It's taking the things that are life and so treasuring them that you're basically gestating them. You're so treasuring them that you're actually imparting a growing to them. And you're so present to them that you're conferring what Jeannie was saying, being, and you're conferring well-being so that it flourishes. And, um, and that's kind of the, the, when we opened up in our prayer this morning, one of the things that you noticed is the incredible celebration of Mary saying yes to God, let it be done unto me according to your will, um, which incarnates God in the flesh. But what we really celebrate so much in Mary is what Jesus later says to the disciples, you know, those who are really part of my family take my words and they do what my mother did, which is to gestate them and really treasure them in such a way that they come to life. It's so and that's what one of the things that woman embodies in a sense is that one of the great pictures of the kingdom that Jesus uses, and it almost made it into our scripture for the gospel today, was the kingdom of heaven is like that woman who takes the yeast and she works it into all three measures of the flour. And she's so concerned to move in this way of exercising her power that every single part of life is permeated with fermentation, is permeated with fermentation. It's a, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit, if you will, that in many ways that that is, is the gift of woman, the gift of woman that just insists upon seeing life permeate every part of our existence so that we can experience God in that way. I think that there's um, just something about Mary and something about this, this way of conferring being in such a dynamic and intense way that is one of the unique ways we can speak of the power of woman. Okay. Does that make sense? I just threw out a bunch of ideas, and I, it may be kind of new, so I want to make sure I'm being clear here. Um, so we talked a little, he, he mentioned wisdom, I don't know if you said this specifically, but in Proverbs, Wisdom is personified as a woman. And I, I was actually thinking, too, because I spent all of last year going through Proverbs with my middle schoolers. And so we talked a lot about wisdom. We talked a lot about women, because it's all through the Proverbs, good and bad. Um, so just put that there for a starting point. But just thinking about ways that women's brains are different from men's is that, and hopefully we all kind of know this, but just review, 
men tend to be able to better compartmentalize and um, make decisions based on principles. They're, they're not confused by um, a lot of other people's feelings and things like that. Women, t their brains tend to have connections to way more variables and they, when they're thinking about a principle, they're also thinking about how this will affect people, how this will affect, you know, not just short-term outcome, but long-term outcome and things like that. So, and it's interesting, uh, I, I read that they really need more women in the engineering field because they have discovered that they need, they specifically said, we need different kinds of brains on these teams of engineers because we get better outcomes on teams where there's a woman, and they specifically said it's because we need the brain that thinks like that. And so when we think about uh, wisdom being personified as a woman, um, I'm just gonna throw it out there that it's partly because she has that relational connection as well as the ability to see the principle. Proverbs is full of principles, but it's also very concerned with how we live together and how we affect one another when we live together. Um, it, it also, because we talked about women's power to give life, and wisd wisdom would call people to choices that lead to life, because my middle schoolers know the choices we make. They're either heading towards life or they're heading towards death. So many of them are just one or the other. And so wisdom is, is calling people to life and to rich, good life. Um, so I was, it was just kind of interesting because then Proverbs does end. It starts out with this kind of picture of uh, wisdom as a woman that is very appealing. And then in the middle, we have all these warnings against loose women and, and you know, the temptresses. Um, and then it goes back in the end to a hymn to a woman who is full of wisdom in how she lives her life. The decisions that she makes, the actions that she takes, they're all designed to bring life, and not, not just life existence, but a rich, life, a full life to herself and her family and her husband and her community. So I could say that um, I, in, I included the entire Psalm 31, I mean Proverbs 31, including that little snippet at the front. A lot of times that's left out because I wanted to emphasize the fact that when, when you realize that King Lemuel has gotten this wisdom from his mother, and a lot of that wisdom is really calling him to be a man and calling him to be somebody who's tempered and somebody who's well-governed in themselves, which is where I ended my sermon last week, he received that really on the lap of his mother. It was a wisdom, it was, it was wisdom from his mother that then um, shaped him and enabled him to be a man. And there's that dynamic. Wisdom, when she's really fully released to her vocation in the world, calls men to be men and empowers women to be women. And when man is truly responsible, he creates contexts and guards that so that it can flourish and fill in with life in just these ways. And that is just a wonderful kind of dance that's going on there, and it continues through the generations. And um, so I just love that, um, the, the, the way that that legacy of wisdom is manifest there at the end of Proverbs. Um. 
kind of my last point um, is, so we're not just talking about mothers, and we're not just talking about women, but this kind of wisdom and um, this, this, you know, feminine picture that we're creating is really, it's for all of us, and especially in the church. You know, we, we talk of sometimes about God as our father and church as our mother. And the ways in which church is our mother is partly related to these kind of feminine, like we fill, we, we are filled certainly by God as our father, but then when we come and we receive like physical touch in church, when we receive you know, someone laying hands on us to pray for us, or someone feeding us with physical food that is also spiritual food, I mean, that's pretty similar to what a mother does when she nurses her baby. There's physical food, but there is also way more being imparted to her than just physical existence. Anyone could give the baby a bottle. Um, uh, like, I'm thinking of the orphanages, I'm not thinking about a father, but. Um, and so we, we can do this for each other in the church when we look one another in the eye, when we ask questions and we really listen, and when we give that, those messages of, it's good that you're here. You know, I, I'm delighted that you're here. I'm delighted to um, be with you. I, I care about you. You know, I visitors, you know, we see you, we hear you, how can we help you get your children settled, how can we, you know, show you where the bathrooms are, when all these things communicate so much more than just the words that we say. Um, and we can also do this in the greater community. Um, we take this out to the, the, our jobs, and, you know, I was just thinking, when I'm subbing, and there's a student that I make eye contact with, and I smile at them, and kind of a meaningful way. Sometimes, I mean, I, I do this just instinctively, especially if it's been a really bad class. <laughs> there have been a lot of challenging kids in it, but there's a couple of well-behaved kids that I can just kind of affirm them with, with a smile as they leave, um, or a thank you, or whatever. And, and sometimes the kids will do this to me. Sometimes a kid will make a point to come to me and say thank you as they leave the class. You know, there's so much more that's happening there than just those words that are exchanged, or just the glance. So we do that for one another, and it, it's, it's important. We need it. We need it in our society. I forget what else I was going to say about that, but... Do you want to comment? I, I mean, I can wrap. Did you want to say um, anything else? I feel like I... Oh, Mary and Martha. That's what I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, just when we read it this morning, I thought, don't forget to say something about that. Uh, I think that the way that Mary is being relational with Jesus and Martha is just being task-focused, you know, we, we can really break that apart um, in ways that aren't necessary because th Martha could have related to Jesus as she served, you know, and she, I mean, not that it wasn't important for her to maybe stop what she was doing and spend time with Jesus, it was, but it wasn't that it was wrong that she took action and, and this is a lot of times what we do, we relate through um, sometimes through service and through, it's a way of nurturing and, as I say, providing so much more than just physical needs. Um, but we do also, as women, we can't just give out of an empty well. So Mary, being that woman who knows where to go to sit at the feet of Jesus and receive 
that, all those messages that I just talked about, that you're here, I see you, I care about you, I know you, I want to bless you. I mean, Mary knew where to go and sit and receive that so that she then could, could give it. Wow. That's a beautiful picture of um, Mary being able to receive so that she can pass on that gift of receiving to somebody else. But the idea that Mary and Martha, if they were truly, fully themselves together, is such an embodiment of wisdom. In fact, that's Proverbs 31, right? It's not, Martha's activity isn't the issue so much as that it's not in relationship. And um, so the activity and the power expressed through that activity is a good thing, but to do it in relationship, I think, is so much of the gift of woman that's really in jeopardy right now. And it's something that I want us to celebrate as a church, that, um, that there is a power and a creativity and a dignity that's reflected in woman that is at risk of, we're at risk of losing that sense of God in our, cult- in our culture. Mm-hmm. We're at risk of losing um, and diminishing the power of relationship and exalting the power of, of doing functions. And, and very masculine versions of power that are good, that are also reflections of the divine, and yet we need both. I think one of the things that I loved about Alistair Roberts' treatment of the story of Joseph and, and um, of Mary is that he sees that Joseph embodies a true patriarchy that actually extols a true matriarchy. And what he's doing there is he's actually receding into the background. He's creating a context. He's creating a sanctuary for Mary and Jesus to be in the foreground, for them to be the prominent ones, the preeminent ones. And he's laying down his life in many ways, and he is himself receiving wisdom from above so that wisdom can be embodied in Mary and the word can be embodied in Jesus and he is doing his work of guarding, and he's doing his work of making sure that they are cared for and that they are prominent. He's making sure that the relational is held in higher regard than anything else. And, um, and I think that I'd love for us to have a different conversation about power, because when you look at the way that creation unfolds at the beginning, is that the pinnacle of creation is man. And man, meaning male and female, together, are to reflect God's creativity and continue it in both these organizing and infilling ways. And collaborative, collaboratively together, they do that. But if the pinnacle of creation is that work, then the pinnacle of the pinnacle is how it's embodied in wisdom, in relationship, and how that has to become much more prominent in our culture. And men, it's our job to make sure that that keeps on being said and keeps on being honored and keeps on being given the dignity that it deserves. Um, now, all of this to say, like, there's a, lot of, there, there's a lot of ways in which we can occupy high power roles in, in the world if we're a woman, and we can occupy relational roles in the world if we're men. Um, but the picture that God designed from the beginning that has to somehow be embodied and our bodies somehow are configured to it in a mystery. This is a mystery we'll talk more about next week 
It's a revelation of God in male and female together, not alone, but in collaboration, in communication. And when that is fully expressed, we're fully alive. And when that vision of God happens, then we, are, then we experience glory. And it's a joy. It's a wonderful thing. You want to close this in prayer? Sure. Lord God, I thank you so much that you have given us these pictures of male and female in our, um, in our hearts, in our symbolic system. Lord, where things have been confused in our culture, we pray that you would set them aright in our hearts. Where we may not have um, seen clearly from our own experiences growing up, Lord, we pray that you would heal any areas that need healing in us as women or in us as men. Lord, we thank you for putting around us in this church so many godly men and godly women who have both strength and humility, who have both objectivity and, and the subjective touch. Lord, I, I thank you for how we can... Um, nurture one another in these ways that we may need to grow. And I just pray, Lord, for each one here that they can be honest with you and with themselves and with others about what they need from you. And I thank you that you will provide it and that you will bless each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.